Hey guys, I'm your host, Mackenzie, and this is the Mommy in Maine podcast where we dive into all things pregnancy, postpartum, and parenting. Motherhood is the most beautiful contradiction. Every day is a chaotic adventure, to say the least, and I'm learning and growing as fast as my daughter is. It really is the perfect balance between challenge and reward. Just like our littles, us mamas deserve our very own village. Well, here you have found it. Join me and local experts for support in your transition to and through motherhood. This is where open and honest conversations take place, where strange and random questions can be asked, thoughts and stories are shared, and you're free to come exactly as you are. I promise you, this will serve as so much more than just a podcast. This is belonging and connection, education and advocacy. This is transparency and authenticity. This is the community you've been waiting for. This is the Mommy in Maine podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Mommy in Maine podcast. It's been a little bit. I so much appreciate you tuning in today and spending your precious time with me. Happy April. It is April 1st. It is a wet and dreary day here in Maine, at least in my neck of the woods. I'm not sure about the whole state, but kind of crappy out. Um, Hopefully you all get some time to unwind and relax, maybe read a book or um, cozy up with a, a good cup of tea or something. But I wish you all the best weekend. I have a wonderful episode today in store for you. And actually, um, all of April, still working on some editing and everything, but we have some really good ones coming up. Um, Some on chiropractic care and birth trauma and healing, and then also starting solids and kind of nutrition for your baby. So I'm very excited to get those out to you this month. But today we have um, the wonderful Andy Hutchinson of the Lactation Circle. That's the name of her business. She was such a pleasure to talk to and reflecting back when I was editing this episode. um, She just really has such a warm presence and so easy to talk to. Um, She's definitely, if you are in need of a lactation consultant or just looking for some extra support around your breastfeeding or lactation journey, I would highly recommend reaching out to her. She is very inviting, welcoming, and has so much knowledge under her belt um, between her years of experience as a labor and delivery nurse and now, of course, as a board-certified lactation consultant. She she definitely knows her stuff. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. She... um, had when she had her first baby no one knew how to help her breastfeed that's kind of what got her started so once she figured it out she developed a passion for birth work in general and as a birth worker over 25 years she noticed that lactation support was always an afterthought of care for new parents she saw her younger self in the faces of these new parents who were left with very little help When she realized this gap, she earned her role as an IBCLC and tapped into her own personal experiences to help parents who struggled as she did. Um, Unfortunately, it is kind of, you know, it's sad to think that all of the struggles new parenthood can bring sometimes when it comes to learning and navigating um, just so many different parts, whether that's sleep training or just sleep in general with your baby and figuring out your own body that seems foreign and like your milk supply coming in and all of that. Um, It certainly is something that I didn't know much about. And I do remember meeting with a lactation consultant um, at the hospital during, during our stay there when we had Addie, but it was pretty brief and she was wonderful and they do provide you with like a phone number to call and all of that. But 
it's weird because you think you know it in the hospital, you know, the brief amount of time you do spend trying to figure that out. Um, with them there, they kind of show you how to use your pump if you bring your pump, which I recommend you do if you are unsure at all or have questions about it, hooking it up and anything like that. You might not necessarily use it, obviously, on yourself while you're there, but um, if you want a um, like a, a little tutorial, if you will, I guess, with an IBCLC who is at the hospital, then I do recommend packing that in your hospital bag. Just side note. But yeah, it's still like I thought I had it figured out. And actually, when I was in the hospital, my milk supply hadn't come in yet. It was still just colostrum. So it really wasn't until I was home alone with with my baby that I was navigating like the fullness of my breasts and just figuring all of that out. So it's definitely a little bit of... Um, it's a change to get used to and there's a lot of questions that surround it and then of course it all spirals down into like if you're not producing enough and then if it's just not for you you thought it might have been and now you're going like looking at formula or just all of the complications that might arise so it's definitely a journey and if you have any questions at all I, I can't recommend Andy Hutchinson more she was she was wonderful so without further ado let's dive in hi Andy how are you today hi I'm good thanks for having me of course, I'm super excited to get into all things about breastfeeding today. I know this is a huge topic, um, a lot, you know, a lot of nerves around it, I think, and excitement too, which is, which is, um, I don't know, I think it's a, a topic that sometimes it seems is talked too much about and other times not enough. Um, and then there's stigma around both of those. So I'm hoping today that our conversation can kind of break down some of those walls and really get into the nitty gritty of all things breastfeeding. Um, I'm really happy to have you. Why don't we start off with just a little bit about yourself and um, your background and share about your business. Okay. Well, my name is Andy Hutchinson. I am an RN IBCLC, which is a lactation board certified lactation consultant. Um, my business is called the Lactation Circle. I am new to Maine. Um, I've been doing this. I've been in the birth work world for, um, gosh, 27 years. Um, very passionate about it. I was a labor and delivery nurse for almost 20 of those years. Um, been a lactation consultant for um, a very long time and have seen a lot of stuff. But um, like I said, new to Maine and trying to reach out there and meet other people in the birthing community and be of service wherever I can be. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's certainly needed. And we are so happy to have you here. Welcome to Maine. <laughs> Thank you so much. Do we want to start off first, I guess, with just um, talking about um, sort of your personal experience and why you feel that, um, you know, the struggles that you had with breastfeeding and how that kind of led you to where you are and what you sometimes see in your practice with um, new parents? Absolutely. So for me, um, you know, I was a young mom when I had, when I was pregnant with my first baby and breastfeeding was just my goal. It was, it was what I equated with being a good mother. And, you know, that's neither here or there. That was just in my head. So important. And, um, I read all the books and I joined La Leche League and I did all the things and, um, I had this beautiful baby and, um, none of the nurses knew how to, at the hospital, didn't know how to assist me. And I'm like, well, this really hurts. And I, and I was told it's not supposed to hurt. And they're like, well, it looks okay. It looks all right. So fast forward, you know, we go home in 48 hours um, and I'm feeding her every one to three hours, like they told me to do. Um, I thought everything was fine. And yeah, I, I was hurting a lot and there, I, my nipples were bleeding, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to get through this. And then fast forward another two days and my baby's very, very jaundiced and I can't wake her up. 
Um, we don't have any wet diapers and I'm, I'm terrified. So I take her to the emergency room um, and they basically chastised me for starving my baby. Now, I had no idea, you know, that I wasn't giving her proper milk. And, you know, I didn't realize that I didn't have her latched appropriately. So we were readmitted. Um, this was a little tiny hospital with not a lot of um, education, no education actually, this was 1992. So nobody really had um, any idea about breastfeeding in this small facility. Um, my OBGYN was a general practitioner, so it wasn't really an OB, but um, just a general doc. And she said, if you breastfeed this baby, you're gonna kill her. You need to formula feed her. And so um, her belly ribbon was at a dangerous level. Um, it was at 25, and if any of you know how high that is, that is on the brink of needing transfusion. Um, so it was really scary. So they did what we call double bank lights. So they put these phototherapy lights over. I was not allowed to touch her. I was not allowed to hold her. Um, the nurses would come in and force feed her two ounces of formula every two hours. Um, but being, I, would, I just cried, I just sat and cried. Um, but I really wanted this to work. So I would pump um, for 45 minutes every two hours. And that's very excessive, but I didn't know that. And nobody was telling me anything. Anyway, this went on for two weeks in the hospital. We were finally re released to go home, but they told me I had to continue doing the two hour feeds, um, the two ounce formula every two hours. And that's a lot of formula for a little baby. So it would take her 30 minutes to get down the two ounces. She would go to sleep. I would pump for 45 minutes and then I would sleep for 15 minutes and then I would do it again. This went on for two weeks <laughs> and I remember so vividly. So a couple of good things did happen while this, this occurred. First of all, her bilirubin did go down. It would have gone down with proper breastfeeding just to be clear, um, but it gave my nipples a time to heal. So I could have potentially lost both of my nipples had I not um, you know, had the, the, the pump who it was a proper suction. It was a proper latch with the pump. So I did have healing time, which is, I'm, you know, that is the one silver lining out there. But I remember after pumping and we'd been doing it for two weeks at home, um, I remember her very vividly. She looked at me and then she looked at my boobs and she looked at me and I thought, let's try this. And so I latched her on and um, we successfully breastfed until she weaned herself at 18 months. Um, but it was a huge journey. And so that whole time I'm thinking, there has to be somebody who can help moms do this without this trauma, because I was definitely traumatized by all of this. Um, so I reached out to WIC, which is the Women, Infant, um, and Child Program, um, and I became a WIC peer counselor for breastfeeding moms. And by the time I had my next kiddo, two years later, um, I was a peer counselor. Um, I was working on my lactation counselor um, certification. And um, when I went into the hospital to have my second kiddo, I was literally walking up and down the hallway helping moms breastfeed, you know, because I just felt like that really needed to happen. Um, so that was the beginning of my journey. I have three children that were exclusively breastfed. I'm so, so proud to say. Um, and they all weaned themselves when they were good and ready. And, um, you know, that was the lifestyle that I chose for my kiddos and it worked out really well. Um, but I'm very passionate about helping people just whatever their feeding goals are, whatever their feeding needs are. Um, and that can be very, very, uh, a wide expansive of different things. And I just, I'm a big believer in promoting those things as a, um, labor and delivery nurse. Um, I saw 
you know, a lot of different things and um, not always the inclusive inclusivity that I think is so important for um, people who are birthing, people who are going to be feeding their baby, be that breastfeeding, chest feeding, off body feeding. Um, you know, there are so many different ways to approach how we feed our baby. And I think it all needs to be supported. Couldn't agree more. Talk about a challenging journey for you at first. Um, and I'm sure you're not alone. There's got to be, yes. you know, tons of other women out there that experience similar um, occurrences in, in their own journey. Um, and it's just, it really is sad when you feel so alone, especially right when you get home and you think you've, you've figured it out at the hospital or whatever. And right. um, you think that baby's latching and they're getting enough. And then come 3 a.m., you're totally alone. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. You're exhausted. And yes, you know, you don't know where to look or what to do at that point. Um, um, you know, now we have some postpartum doulas, which is an amazing thing um, that can be very supportive if you don't have that mom or that sister who can stay with you or or whoever that other support person can be a third person, um, you know, if you and your partner can have a third person, it's just phenomenal. I am also that person, you know, I'm that person that you can call in the middle of the night and say, what is happening? Why, you know, she was doing so well all day and now I can't console her, you know? So, um, you know, I really can be that resource for people. And, and, and I feel very passionate about that as well. That's amazing to know that you're, you're willing and able to do that for, for people. Yeah. Um, and breastfeeding is, it is, I think it is a lot of, um, women's goals, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. part of that, like, I don't want to say persona, but you know, you kind of strive to, uh, you know, to mm -hmm. your point earlier about sort of labeling yourself as being like that good or, you know, right. capable mother, right. You, you label it that way and, um, hold yourself to that standard of, well, you know, I should yeah. be able to deliver naturally. I should be able to breastfeed exactly. easily. And, and that's just yes. not how it goes more and often than not. Right. We're putting so many expectations on ourselves that are unfair and that, um, you know, aren't, you know, they aren't justified. They aren't needed. And if we can just break down those barriers and, and break down, you know, the guilt and just, you know, that there is support out there and, you know, we, the birthing community and, and I can help, you know, people get through that and to prepare for it and, preparation is so important, um, for birth and for breastfeeding. So just, you know, knowing that those resources are out there and that there are people who can help you. Sure. And I think it's important to also say, um, too, that this goes for those that choose not to breastfeed as well, right? Absolutely. It's not for everybody. And it is, it's taxing, but so is exclusively pumping. So is yes. formula and choosing the right formula and bottle feeding, you know, they're all, yes. however you choose your baby, and I know you see this everywhere, like all these different, you know, breast is best or nope, now it's right. fed is best. And honestly, yeah. <laughs> whatever works for you is best. Whatever works for the mom and the baby or the family in general is best. 100%. I always say, I don't care how you feed your baby. Let's just feed your baby. Um, you know, there are so many variants to, um, how we feed our baby. And it doesn't have to be all one way. And it doesn't have to be, you know, just, you know, my way or just, you know, what your mom told you that you should do or what your, what your friends are doing, you know? And I think, um, there's just a big variety on that. And of course I'm going to help parents, um, reach their goals. Right. And sometimes those goals change, you know, sometimes you might Absolutely. walk into it thinking, I would like to try breastfeeding. You know, I would mm -hmm. like to nurse the first six months, year, 18 right. months, whatever that might be. And I think it's important going into it though, to recognize that 
it, it's great having those goals. It's wonderful. And I think necessary to try to prepare yourself for that, but they might change and to also Absolutely. just not um, beat yourself up about it, which I know is so hard for moms to do. Um, but that's Mom guilt thing. is a real thing. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent it is. And especially with, with feeding and birth, I, I feel like lab, uh, delivery specifically and feeding because it's our body, right? You know, our, our right. organs that are supposedly we were, were made for this as made female, to, made to do this. Yeah. That when we can't do it that way, or when it is a struggle, it's looked almost down upon, or, you know, then we're judged for choosing not to breastfeed or, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many, you can go down a rabbit hole with it, but how Absolutely. would you, um, I guess to start, how would you know, even that, you know, if you choose to breastfeed and like you said, your nipples were bleeding and cracked and, you know, getting that point across that that's not normal, right? You know, it shouldn't right. hurt. And that's what we're right. all told. But but why do mm-hmm. so many moms still then try to go through it even when they are in pain? Um, kind of just persevere, right? Get through it and this yeah, is what's get through best. it. So how yeah. would you recommend to them to um, you know, recognize when when something isn't feeling right or how to even know if your baby is latching properly? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um and it's actually, you know, when we say for let's let's presume it's the first baby. Um, I always say that um, in the first couple of days, you probably are going to be tender. It should not hurt, but you may be tender. And I always say, if you are white knuckle for three seconds after baby latches, one, two, three, then it should be fine. If not, something's not right with the latch. So a little bit of tenderness for three seconds, no big deal. If it's still hurting, something is definitely wrong with the latch. And that can be as simple as needing to um, untuck a lip, might maybe flare a little bit more on the lips. Um, more often than not, it's that the baby is not taking enough of the breast in their mouth. So all of those things can be addressed really easily and go from being very painful to no pain at all. Well, that's reassuring, you know, knowing that with the right support, of course, that it it can be easy, you know, it's not something that's impossible to navigate. Right, right. And, you know, very, very often it's the tiniest little fix and, you know, (laughs) the mom will look up and say, wow, thank you. You know, because it's just quick and easy, but, you know, it's easy for me to say with two hands standing above you, you know, with (laughs) when you're trying to breastfeed a new baby. So sure. Right. What about um, knowing how, when they are latched, how does mm-hmm. a mom even understand or, or know how much her baby is getting? Are they, are they consuming enough, you know? And even mm-hmm. if you time a nursing session or anything like that, and you're watching mm-hmm. for them to make that, that um, full swallow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I always, I struggled with that myself and, and she breastfed very well. Um, it went mm-hmm. good for us. Thank I'm very thankful for that, but I still always wondered, you know, well, how much is she getting and is it enough? Uh-huh. And I know there's a lot of people who struggle with their baby not getting enough, um, or uh-huh. so it be that they find that out. And, you know, that's how do you cope with that too, right? You, or I don't know, there's so much to, <laughs> to, yeah. to learn and, and understand. So I always, you know, what I always say, don't watch the clock, watch your baby. Okay. And I think it's really important for new parents to hear that it is very normal for a breastfed baby to want to nurse every 45 minutes. Sometimes it will be 20 minutes. Sometimes it will be three hours, um, sometimes four. And every baby's different, but I think it's just really important that we drill into our heads, watch the baby, not the clock. If the baby wiggles, the easiest thing to do is to offer food, offer the breast. 
If the baby is hungry, the baby will eat. If the baby is not hungry, the baby won't eat and it needs something else. Um, but the way we know baby's getting enough, first of all, we get a good latch. We're not having pain with that latch. We are hearing audible swallowing and a newborn, it sounds like very, very subtle. You can see the jaw moving, a very, very rhythmic move. Um, and baby seems happy after baby goes to sleep. Now with a newborn, I always um, encourage people to keep their baby on task, which just means sleepy babies sometimes fall asleep at the breast. So rubbing the feet, rubbing the back a little bit, I call it the milk pump. You move their arm up and down and for whatever reason they start nursing again, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, but to keep that baby focused until that baby is passed out. Um, and then I always say, not all breast babies, baby, Breastfed babies need to burp, but but if that baby falls asleep really, really hard on that breast, you take the baby off the breast, burp, always offer the second breast. The baby may not want it, but it's a good opportunity to try to wake baby a little bit, see if we can get baby topped off. So baby will go a little longer between breastfeedings. Mm -hmm. But again, gastric, gastric emptying for a breastfed baby is anywhere between 14 and 45 minutes. So it can happen so quickly that the baby turns around and says, oh, I'm hungry again. And that is normal. Um, on day one, your colostrum is everything that the baby needs. It's, you know, that's your first milk. You start producing colostrum at about 18 months, 18 months, 18 weeks. I hope it's not 18 months, at about 18 weeks. And um, when your baby is first born is the perfect food for your baby. And on day one of life after birth, within that first 24 hours, we want to see one messy diaper and one wet diaper. More is fine, but we want to at least see one and one. On day two, we want to see two messy and two wet. On day three, we want to see three and three. Usually by then, your mature milk is starting to come in. Um, your breasts may feel fuller. You're going to notice baby um, swallowing more often and more of a rhythmic suck. Um, during that transition, that transitional milk, um, you're going to start to see that increase in diapers. Um, usually by day four, we're seeing three to five messy diapers and six to eight wet diapers a day. Some babies will have up to 12. Like every time they nurse, they're going to have a little bit of, of a messy diaper. Um, and another thing to point out, it's hard with with um, disposable diapers to see that babies are peeing. And I know that can be very scary for, for new parents. Um, there's a couple of tricks to that. If you're really, really concerned, you can put a little cotton ball in there and because that'll get soaked and you can see. But the really nice thing is if they're pooping, they're also peeing. Okay, so if there's poop, there's also pee, <laughs> if that makes sense. If they weren't getting enough, there wouldn't be poop. And then we would be you know, concerned about that and start working on that. Um, nine times out of 10, it is a latch situation that is preventing that good milk transfer. Um, and there can be other things that are more complicated, but generally if you've got a good latch and you're meeting those baby's cues, which are literally moving their mouth, um, tongue usually will start coming in and out. That's a very early cue, um, wiggling, just offer mm -hmm. that breast. You know, as cues move on, they get a little more frantic. So by the time they're sucking on their finger, they're serious and they may be, um, you know, a little frustrated by the time you get them on the breast. Crying is definitely a late cue and it can be a real challenge for both of you to um, move on from there. <laughs> Even when you're offering the breast, they can be so angry and frustrated that it's really difficult to calm them. So I always encourage people to get that very first cue and put them on the breast. Sure, <laughs> that's, that's good to know about, you know, if they're emptying, they likely are getting enough because it is, right? You can't stick like a, 
any sort of measuring thing, you know, in your boobs, right? like, whoa, how much did you consume? <laughs> exactly. So I, you know, I always say, don't measure what goes in, measure what comes out. That's a great reminder. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, what about for mothers who um, don't think the latch is good or, or it's not, if they feel that that's um, the issue, I guess, the biggest mm -hmm. issue. And um, how would you recommend they not freak out or, or cope with that, or if they want to continue trying or, and they just yeah. really are struggling and they're, they're frustrated. Now baby's frustrated. Um, yeah. Where do you kind of, where's that starting point of recognizing that you might need help or understanding, is it even the latch? Is that the issue? Um, all mm -hmm. those sort of questions that might come up. So anytime it's painful. And again, we talked about that three seconds of, Ooh, this is intense. Like baby can suck the pain off a wall intense. Like it's, it can be pretty crazy, but that should be over within three seconds. If you're having pain after three seconds of the latch, that definitely means that you need assistance. Um, if you have a cracked nipple, if you're having um, what we call a lipstick tube looking nipple after baby comes off, the, like the tip of your nipple looks like a lipstick tube, the end of lipstick, um, that's a problem. Um, that means that baby is not um, latched appropriately. Um, there's just, you know, if baby ends up with a, um, uh, like a milk blister, we call it sometimes on the bottom lip or even on the top lip, sometimes that can, it, it may not be a big deal at all, but it could mean that there's a little latch tweaking that we could do. Um, the main thing is pain. And I always, I mean, just, just reach out, reach out to me. Um, you know, we can do Zoom meetings. I can come to your home. Um, there are there are people who can help you and to get rid of the pain is, you know, that's really fundamental for a good latch is not to have any pain. And that's, that's your first indicator. If it's a good latch, you're not having any pain. Um, you can, you can feel pretty good about that. How would you, how would you know or differentiate between, um, like a clogged duct or I've heard of mastitis too? Um, what are, are sure. there certain symptoms or signs to look for in those, uh, scenarios and how would you relieve oh, them? Absolutely. So, when milk first comes in, when your mature milk first comes in, very often, especially first-time mamas, will be very full or engorged, and they can be very um, sore. Your breast, your breasts themselves can be very sore. Um, and the best thing is nurse, 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 nurse. You can pump if you want to, just to take off a little of the excess. But keep in mind that it's all supply and demand. So if you're if you pump, 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 you're telling your body, oh, make more milk. Um, so best case is just pump or just. Um, breastfeed your baby every time they wiggle. And it usually takes 24 hours, maybe 48 for your body to kind of get in rhythm and to calm down a little bit. Now, what happens sometimes, and it usually doesn't happen in the first few days, but it can happen, um, you know, in the first few weeks, definitely, um, that you get a clogged duct. So a clogged milk duct. And the way you would feel that sometimes it can feel just like a little hard pee right underneath the skin. And sometimes it can feel like a nodule, like a, a large, like almost um, like a walnut size lump. And it can be very, very, it is very tender to the touch. It could be red. You can even see some um, uh, redness and heat um, and can be very uncomfortable. But the cure for that is to nurse your baby. So um, I always want to make it really clear that um, even if you have an infection, if you have a cold, if you have a breast infection, if you're bleeding, if you have some bleeding from your nipple, anything that comes out of your breast is safe for your baby. Okay. So even if you have mastitis and you're on antibiotics, you would need you breastfeeding is how you cure that. And it is safe for your baby. Anyway, back to clogged ducts. Um, 
there are some tips and some tricks. Basically start on the breast that has that clogged up because baby will be more vigorous on that breast. If you line up baby's chin with wherever that clogged duct is, that is gonna be the strongest suction point. Um, and this is easier to show than to explain, but if you had a clogged duct um, at your armpit, you would want to almost put the baby down on the bed and rotate around backwards. So the you're on your hands and knees over baby where his chin is pointed to the clogged duct. And that will most effectively drain the duct. Um, and also being um, in that position of hands and knees, gravity also helps. Heat packs, um, massage on that area, all of these things will help um, release that clogged duct. Now, as far as mastitis, mastitis usually occurs either from an unresolved milk, clogged milk duct or more commonly from bacteria being exposed to a damaged nipple. So if you're having latch problems and you get a fissure or a cut you know, in your nipple, bacteria can be um, introduced that way. That is the number one risk of mastitis. So mastitis is a breast infection of the mammary glands and it has to be treated with antibiotics. You know, I have seen people weather it, but it's not pretty. Um, and sometimes that can turn into um, even bigger problems like a breast abscess, which is very significant. So I encourage everyone that if they think they have mastitis, you know, obviously reach out to me. Um, we're going to get in contact with your medical provider, get on a full round of antibiotics to get rid of that. But breastfeeding is still going to be the cure-all. You have to continue breastfeeding and pumping to get that milk flowing because that's, that's what's so important. With mastitis, there's a fever. Um, your breast is very, very tender. Um, sometimes there are red striations up your breast. Um, and it feels like the worst flu you've ever had in your life, kind of like you got hit by a truck. Um, and it's, it's no fun. The other part of mastitis that um, is um, interesting, it can run in families. So um, if your sister, if your mom, if your aunt had chronic mastitis, so they had mastitis several times during their nursing um, relationship, just be on the lookout. And there are some things prenatally and um, even after baby comes that you can take and to do to kind of um, help hold those, hold that off if it is something that runs in your family. That's so interesting. I, I didn't realize that it could be um, tied, you know, in the family that way. Um, but yeah. thank you for kind of giving us those varying, you know, that mastitis is more like flu-like and really more the antibiotics are needed and stuff. Um, could with a clogged milk duct, I've also heard um, like self-expression, maybe in a, in a hot shower with the steam or something. Absolutely. So I, I mentioned the, the heat packs or whatever, but yes, hot shower um, is wonderful. I also like a really hot bath and you get on your hands and knees and really let your breast soak in there um, and massage. Um, hand expression is something that I teach um, prenatally. Um, I really encourage um, people who are low risk, um, don't have preterm labor or anything like that, that we start expressing at about 34 weeks, 34 to 36 weeks, learning to hand express, starting to collect that colostrum, because that can be, I mean, that's your backup for if there are any latch problems in those first few days. And you're like, oh my gosh, is my baby getting enough? Or this really hurts. I need to get help. But in the meantime, I'm going to give them this colostrum already have stored. So it's a big, big deal. And it's a wonderful thing for moms to start learning their body and how to express that milk. And I think it's very empowering. Definitely. Yeah. And, and that's something that they don't, that's certainly a topic you don't um, learn too much about um, how to properly exactly. do ahead of time, especially. And I know for, for my daughter, um, when we started, when she was still 
super early on, she would get full off, you know, just one side. So, but mm-hmm. then the other side of me is like giant. Right. And, right. I, and that, yes. like you said, it, it's still tender and a little bit sore, not because of her, just it, it's so full. big, <laughs> not yet. <Yeah>. <laughs> And, um, it's like, well, where does the milk go? And, you know, she's, she's done on this side, but I, I have yeah. to, like, it was, I, I do remember actually starting to use my pump a little bit earlier than I had, um, anticipated or wanted to right away, but it was, I, I did have quite an oversupply and well, yeah, it was great, but she, for a while couldn't, couldn't feed off both breasts. So it, um, I, I was like, I can't, I can't wait right. that extra two hours until she's ready for the other side. I have to either self-express or use my pump. Exactly. So hand expression is a wonderful skill. I teach it to all of my clients. It's really important to be able to do. It helps you, um, down the road, if you need to increase your milk supply, hand expression with pumping is a way to do that. And I can get into that later, but it's a, it is so essential that we learn to do that. Um, I, I love using a good pump. Um, and many times newborns will get, once that mature milk is in, they are full on one side and mom is like, oh, this other side. Hand expression is fine. A pump is fine. I do want to reiterate that it's all supply and demand. So um, I wouldn't um, want you to pump for 20 minutes on that side. I would want you to pump until you have relief. So, you know, that could be anywhere from two minutes to 10 minutes, you know, whatever, where you don't feel that tightness and that super fullness um, is absolutely wonderful to do. And you can store that milk for later on. Sure. How would somebody, um, if you want to, if you think for, for whatever reason that you don't have a great supply um, or, you know, she, she or he baby's eating well and getting enough, you know, they're having those dirty diapers, but you still are like, you know, after I feed, I'd like to start maybe building a stash. So I'm going to go pump and I'm not like, I'm really, you know, I'm pumping for a half an hour and getting like two ounces on each side. Is that something that is um, genetic in terms of like as supply goes, or is there, are there certain foods? I know that's a big topic. Sometimes moms ask like, Hey, my supply mm-hmm. is dipping or I'm, I'm concerned about it. Are there any things I can eat or drink to help that, um, mm-hmm. you know, get it back up or is it kind of, are, are there lifestyle factors that go into it? What are your thoughts on that? Okay. So, you know, that's a kind of a universal fear, you know, either I'm not going to make enough or what if I don't make enough or what can I do about that? Um, and again, I'll just, uh, you know, repeat this all the time. You know, the more you feed your baby, the more milk you have, the more pump pumping you do, the more milk you have. Um, if, if your baby wiggles, feed your baby. And you're going to probably, it's a very small percentage of people that will have to do anything else. Um, I will say that um, there are several foods that we know are galactigans just from, you know, a million years ago, what, you know, we know has worked in the past. And, you know, those are things like um, oatmeal, um, golden seal, um, um, turmeric. Um, there's, there's a million things out there that, you know, basically what I say is eat whatever tastes good to you, try to eat healthy, but there is no off-limit food. If you're allergic to it, you're not going to eat it anyway. Um, baby's not going to have any allergies to your breast milk. That is a um, misnomer. Um, and that you, I, I always get the question, you know, can I eat spicy foods? Yeah. Look at all the different cultures in the world that eat very spicy foods and it doesn't affect their baby. That being said, I have seen personally a baby who was very sensitive um, when mom would drink a carbonated drink, baby would have gas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, avoid that. Um, I, another mom had a problem if she had orange juice or tomatoes, her baby got a rash. 
Okay, avoid those. But it's pretty rare, pretty rare for a baby to have um, a very strong reaction to something mom has eaten. But back to um, just supply issues. The biggest thing, stay hydrated. Um, when you're breastfeeding, you're going to be very, very thirsty. And that's your body's way of reminding you, sit down, put your feet up and drink a larger glass of water. Um, as you know, I, there's all things on the internet of like, you know, oh, Gatorade, save my milk. It's truly just stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. um, you have to feed mom to feed baby. Baby will not be depleted, but mom will. So your body will take your baby will take from your body what your baby needs. But if you are not taking care of yourself, that's going to show up later, like in your 40s and 50s. So it's really important that, you know, um, you maybe pre-make some snacks or your partner pre-makes some snacks for you. So when you sit down to breastfeed the baby, you've got a big jug of water and some snacks next to you just to really, just to fuel yourself so you can, you know, continue doing what you're doing. Um, if you truly believe that there is a, um, you know, if baby is having like, again, you don't measure what goes in, you measure what comes out. So if they're having those three to five messy diapers and six to eight wet every day, they are getting enough. You know, there may be other things that um, are going on. And if you're concerned, I definitely, definitely recommend reaching out to an IBCLC. Um, be happy to help you with that and to kind of problem solve and see if there are other issues. Now, returning to work or wanting to increase supply and pumping, like you mentioned, and it's very, very common, you know, you breastfed your baby um, and baby's asleep and you're like, I'm going to start, you know, stockpiling. And maybe you only get an ounce out of one side and an ounce and a half out of the other side. Totally fine and totally normal. Um, and our bodies just adjust. And it's amazing after 24 hours, our body can change how much milk we're producing just in a flash. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, um, I usually recommend that new moms, you know, if you're, if you're full on one side and baby doesn't want to take it, go ahead and pump until you're, um, you have some relief there. You can freeze that milk. Um, and then I always, you know, if you get to stay home with your baby for two weeks, fantastic. If it's six weeks, that's amazing. If it's 12 weeks, even better, but whatever it is, you know, generally what I say, let's let, let's get through at least that first week. Let's just, established breastfeeding. And I don't want to add anything else to that because it can be overwhelming. You know, that's a, it's a lot to kind of process and to get into rhythm. Um, if we can wait two weeks, even better. I recommend waiting at least four weeks, if that's at all possible, before we even think about introducing a pump or a bottle for that matter. Um, usually by four weeks, breastfeeding is very well established and we can start kind of tweaking with it a little bit if we need to. Many moms are looking at going back to work um, at six weeks, sometimes eight weeks, whatever that time is, I recommend that you start pumping after baby feeds during the daytime, um, two weeks before returning to work. And what that's going to do, it's going to give you a great freezer stash, which is your back, your, your emergency fund, basically. When, if you go back to work on a Monday, what you pump on Sunday would be baby's food for Monday. And you would put that food just in the refrigerator for baby. While you're at work on Monday, you would pump every time the baby would normally be feeding. So if that's every hour, that's what you need to pump. If that's every three hours, you would be pumping every three hours, okay? You would be storing that milk for baby's food on Tuesday. Generally with this, um, it works really, really well as far as maintaining a supply. I do recommend a double electric pump if you have to be away from baby for work. Um, you know, if it's just date night, you can hand express, you can use a manual pump. Um, 
but if you're going to be away from baby for extended period of time, it does need to be a double electric. Um, supply really comes down to just its supply and demand. Um, there are rare instances. Um, there's you know some conditions, and they're very very rare where mom doesn't have enough lactiferous tissue to actually make the milk. Now that is something that can be diagnosed prenatally and something that we can prepare for. That does not exclude breastfeeding in any way, shape, or form. It just means that we may have to jump through, through some hoops. Um, but it's it's something that can be diagnosed prenatally. Um, and other than that, most women are completely able to give a full supply of breast milk. Again, there are those other instances where that's not the case. And um, if there's any questions, um, you know, contact me, contact an IBCLC and we can definitely work through those things. Great tips in terms of um, starting to um, pump to create your stash. I know that's, that's a huge, I think, because of our, unfortunately, you know, how many weeks moms get off for their maternity yes. leave. That's one of the things that, you know, even after, like you said, kind of those first week, uh, that first week or two, you're really getting into a routine with everything, trying to figure it all out. It's not really maybe right there in the forefront, but then once you feel like you've got it, you're like, okay, shoot, I need to start pumping now. I'm going to work soon. And this is freaking me out or it's, you know, it's overwhelming. It can be to try to figure out that was something I knew nothing about. Like, okay, I know I need to use this pump. I know how to use my pump and I know I put it in the freezer after, but Right. You know, how often do you do it? Or do I just do one side at a time? Do I do both at mm-hmm. once? Like you said, or especially at home first before I, you know, was using it at work mm-hmm. and such, but there, there's a lot of questions that surround that and, you know, figuring out, I think another thing is how much to have saved. Um, I yeah. noticed you said that you can pump the day before for that next day's feedings mm-hmm. for, for the, for the child. And I think sometimes that's a great reminder because I think sometimes we think that we need to have like you know, a week's worth or, or more yeah. of, of stored ahead of time because yeah. God forbid something happens or changes or, you know, and, and I understand yeah. every workplace is different and it might be, you know, challenging more in one place than the other to keep up with that pumping schedule, but it is, it's overwhelming. And especially when you are, when you do have that goal of continuing to give your, your child breast milk for as long as possible. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's so true. And, and, and it is, the law, you have to be allowed uh, pump breaks. Um, they have to provide you a place to pump, which I think is very important that people know. But um, that's that's why I always you know, recommend that two weeks before you're returning to work, after baby has nursed, one or both sides, however your baby nurses, that's fine, um, go ahead and pump for about 20 minutes. And I only in the daytime, don't do this at night. Whatever you get is fantastic. In those first few weeks, I recommend saving that milk in um, um, milk bags in the freezer in one to two ounce increments because your baby probably isn't gonna take more than that and they're easy to defrost. So put them in there, put them in the freezer. You can put them in your above the refrigerator freezer. They're good for six months in a deep freeze, good for a year, okay? So that two weeks is your emergency stash. You may never even have to touch that stash Mm -hmm. because if you're, Breast, if you're pumping the day before for your baby's food, so if you're starting on Monday, the milk you pump on Sunday is what you're going to put in the refrigerator. That's baby's food for Monday. What you pump at work on Monday, you're going to bring home, put in the fridge. That's m- baby's food for Tuesday. If you didn't get to that last pumping and baby's hungry before you get home on Tuesday, you've got your freezer stash, you know? And then a lot of people on the weekend will throw in a pumping or two 
you know, when they're not at work to build up that freezer stash or to make up for that one pumping you missed, you know, our bodies are amazing and they catch up so quickly. You know, if you feel like there's a little dip, you put in an extra pump and then with 24 hours, you're going to feel a big difference. Yep, definitely. I think another reason people like to have that freezer stash too is, um, even if you are, you know, exclusively giving your child breast milk, it's hard for mom to be the sole, you know, feeder constantly. So sometimes having that extra milk in the fridge or freezer for, you know, to offer a bottle, have your partner feed the child Mm -hmm. instead. So you can kind of get a rest sometimes. Um, that's gosh, that opens a whole other jar of, you know, that just the, I think, I don't want to say stigma necessarily, but there's a lot of, I think mentally, like Mm -hmm. it's a, mentally taxing, um, whether you're, and this is for, I don't care if you're exclusively breastfeeding, if you're exclusively Mm -hmm. pumping, which to me, in my opinion, uh, that's essentially the same, like uh, pumping itself. I think it might be exclusively pumping is a whole different dedication that I admire deeply because that, that is hard work. You know, getting starting breastfeeding can be very hard, but once you get the groove of it, super easy, nothing to clean. You know, every time the baby wiggles, don't worry about it. Pumping, it's a whole process. You know, you have to clean those things. You have to, you know, set it up. You have to find the place to do it. It's, you know, it's a lot of work and my hat's off to those people who can do that. It's amazing. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. And it is, I think sometimes nice to, you know, if you are able to pump and, you know, give your partner that bottle instead to get mm-hmm. them. And it gives them a chance, I think, to, to bond with the baby in that way as well. But yeah. I, I, always, I was just going to say bonding, you know, I always like to point out that, you know, I, I've worked with tons of couples that, um, you know, they're both breast or chest feeding um, and they can switch off, which is wonderful. Um, but also just, you know, if, if you do want your partner to have that bonding experience with feeding, it doesn't have to be, well, first of all, breastfeeding isn't just about feeding. It's about bonding. It's about connecting. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be producing breast milk to um, feed your baby at your chest. That being said, um, if, if you do want a break and you want your partner to offer a bottle, that is totally fine. But if you are exclusively, exclusively breastfeeding and you give that baby a bottle of expressed milk one time, and you don't pump or anything, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. If you start doing that routinely, you are telling your body that I don't need as much milk. So once in a while, no big deal. Don't even think about it. If it becomes your nightly routine to, you know, sleep from, let's say midnight to 6am, your breast milk supply will reduce during that time. If you're not waking up and pumping. Right. Does that, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I had to, um, this was a a struggle for me. Um, our daughter started sleeping through the night completely uh, a lot earlier than I anticipated her to, which was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but that complicated (laughs) my milk supply and like figuring that out, I had to navigate, okay, well shoot, you know, we were feeding however many, right. Two, three, four times Mm -hmm. a night. And now all of a sudden she's sleeping, you know, 10 to 12 hours and you know, I'm waking up and my t-shirt is soaked because I didn't get up during the night or whatever. And, you know, I had to I started setting alarms in, during the night when she would sleep to, to then pump instead, A, to relieve, you know, that the engorgement and tenderness, as you mentioned before, but also to then just continue adding to our stash. So it worked out, but I don't care which way you approach it, whether you're waking up in the middle of the night with an alarm or you're exclusively pumping, like it's the whole thing. Every, any way you do it is challenging. And I, I commend any parent for, you know, choosing to feed how they feed, but it's, it's tough Absolutely. for sure to navigate. 
it can be. And that's what I'm here for. So, right. How would you say, is there a, a time in like the mother's body? I know, again, it all comes back to what I'm hearing you say is supply and demand, which completely yes. makes sense. Is there a time though, you think that, um, obviously, right. As baby matures and gets older, they are typically eating less maybe, or, or for, for, uh, shorter durations, maybe less feeds throughout the day. So of course with that, unless you're pumping to, um, compensate your body will think, okay, well, baby doesn't eat as much. So I'm going to start producing less. Uh, is there, are there certain time markers maybe in like a certain, you know, your postpartum journey that I don't know, around the one year mark or 10 months or whatever it might be that your body just naturally though, is kind of like, well, we're, we're kind of, you know, we know baby's getting older. We're going to start naturally just kind of dipping in supply. Um, how would someone navigate that if they are choosing to, um, whether they want to maybe wean off pumping, but they want to continue to nurse or regardless, maybe they want to breastfeed and pump until baby's, you know, 18 months. I don't know, whatever it might be, how would one go about that or, or recognize those? Yeah. And, and really every, every dyad is different, you know, and every, every baby's going to develop at their own rate. Um, some babies are early eaters. We do recommend that they don't start solids until at least six months, but there are some babies who are not ready for solids until 10 months, 11 months, and that's okay too. Those babies are not going to slow down in their nursing. Even if it appears that it's slowing down in their nursing, they may be becoming more efficient. Okay. So they may be taking less time to get their tummy full and that's fine. As long as you're meeting your baby's cues and not putting them on the schedule of, Oh, you ate an hour ago. You can't eat again. Mm -hmm. You will be guaranteeing that your baby and your supply are staying in intact and where they need to be. Um, I have had a lot of women who have, um, restarted birth control, um, um, hormone therapy, and that will give you a dip in your supply. That's that's very, very common. Um, a lot of people will choose to do the mini pill, um, which doesn't have the estrogen factor, and that won't affect you as much. And IUD does not affect breastfeeding. So just, you know, that's something with definitely we can talk about, or you can talk about with your um, OBGYN or midwife. Um, but in general, um, even if your breast around the six month Mark, very often I get the question like, my breasts just feel empty. They don't feel as full. That doesn't, that's not an indicator of how much milk you're making. Okay. So just, you know, watch your baby. If your baby's satisfied after they're full and they're breastfed and they fall asleep and their mouth is hanging open. Yep. Everything fine. <laughs> and keep watching those diapers, obviously. But, um, you know, it's amazing what our bodies are capable of doing. And again, as long as you're just listening to your baby and to your body and meeting those cues, you're going to have enough milk. Um, returning to work, you know, can be a real struggle. Some people will feel a dip, even though they are pumping. Um, and I recommend that you bring a picture of the baby. You can record your baby's voice, um, you know, cries or whatever, uh, a piece of clothing that smells like your baby. That can really help you relax during a pumping session and help you get more milk out and um, increase your supply that way. Um, if you are pumping every time baby would normally be feeding, you're probably going to keep up your supply. But if you feel like there's a dip, put one more pumping in there and it can make all the difference in the world. Um, when you are with your baby, and this is for severe cases of, wow, I really feel a huge dip since I've gone back to work or whatever it may be. Um, I recommend that you get in bed with that baby, skin to skin for 24 hours. You have people bring you food and drink. The only time you get up is to go to the bathroom or change diaper and you go back to bed. I have seen milk supply double by doing this. It is phenomenal. Um, 
the other thing about, okay, I'm ready to not pump anymore. And a lot of moms choose to do that at six months or 12 months or whatever it may be. Um, and just breastfeed when we're together, your body will self-regulate to that very, very quickly. If it's six months, it might take a little bit longer. You may feel a little bit fuller um, and you may have to use that pump just to take the edge off. But what happens is when you get home and you breastfeed that baby within just a couple of days, your body's like, oh, got it. And um, automatically will start making less milk during the day and more at night. It's, it's crazy how quickly that happens. By the time they're a year old, they're generally um, eating a lot of solids and um, you might not even notice knock in. I would recommend knocking out one pumping at a time. So knock out that one pumping for a day or two, knock out two pumpings for a day or two. Um, and then you may notice, Hey, I'm not uncomfortable at all. And then you can just breastfeed when you're together. And many people will do that for a very, very long time. This brings up another um, issue that I've seen that, um, some babies have issue with taking a bottle. I don't recommend introducing an artificial nipple until about four weeks. Um, and I do recommend that mom leave the house when, when that bottle is offered. It, anybody else can, can give it, but the person who's producing the milk generally won't be as acceptable to that, <laughs> to giving the baby a bottle. The, the baby won't be as acceptable. Um, but you know, I've had, oh, which bottle is the best? What, you know, and my baby won't take this bottle. So I'm gonna try this bottle, this bottle, this bottle. In my opinion, um, it doesn't matter what bottle you use. It's all about timing. Um, so baby has to be hungry, but not frantic. The one who is breastfeeding needs to leave the house <laughs> and that baby needs to be sit in an upright sitting position with a slow flow nipple. And um, it's called paste feeding and you can find it all over the internet, um, but it's not letting that baby be overwhelmed with milk. And that combination, baby's hungry, not frustrated, and you're doing paste feeding seems to be key. And um, you can really use just about any bottle out there. I personally love the Mason Jar Bottle Company um, only because it has a nice big um, area that breastfed babies seem to flange well on. Um, and then um, you use Mason Jars, which are glass, which are optimal for storing breast milk long, long term, um, easy to clean, um, they're inexpensive as I'll get out. So um, those are my favorite go-tos. Huh, I've never heard of that brand. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, Mason Jar Bottle Company, it's amazing. Interesting. And you don't have to buy their jars. You can buy a flat of Mason Jar jelly jars um, on Amazon for almost nothing. Um, and then buy the nipples from them and it's, it's very affordable. Wow. Good to know. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to quickly touch on also, um, before we start wrapping up, like, gosh, time is flying, but it's, <laughs> it's so easy to talk about this topic, but, um, kind of the, the mental health implications of breastfeeding and that that might be positive and negative right. or negative, right. It can be both. It can be a mixture. Um, I've read multiple things and, and varying, um, you know, articles and such about obviously your, your, hormone levels and how that changes when you're producing milk and you're let down mm -hmm. and all, all that stuff. And right. And some of that comes from the bonding, that skin to skin, the, all of the kind of happy hormones and stuff. And obviously um, it's, it's oxytocin, right. That gets yes. the milk going. Yep. Um, but what about when you're not feeling, you know, you know, you know, it's great, you know, the experience and you're happy to do it, but then there's also, there's a lot of times when it might not feel great is there anything yeah. other like hormonally or or just that the mental connotations with that and how that goes with with the whole just surrounding breastfeeding in general what are your thoughts on all of that 
Absolutely. All very good questions and points because, you know, most of the time, you know, um, you do have that, um, you know, prolactin and oxytocin, the love hormone when you're breastfeeding and you do feel all warm and fuzzy and your partner actually is going to benefit from that too, because it's just like this glow and um, the prolactin that's released is actually, it actually calms baby. It also calms mom. Um, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. That being said, postpartum depression is something that can happen to anyone. If you have a history of any kind of other depression prior, you are at higher risk. If you had a complicated birth, if you had a complicated start to your breastfeeding, you are at higher risk. And, you know, very often um, the mom won't be the one who notices this. It's going to be the partner. And that's really important to talk about prenatally is, you know, if you feel like you don't like the baby, if you feel like the baby doesn't like you, those are cues and that you need to seek out help, okay? So the other thing that I can see, and I do see very, very often, um, you feel very isolated. Very often you're the only one feeding the baby and you're sitting alone in a rocking chair while you know your friends are out doing whatever or your husband or partner is out doing whatever. And it can be very isolating. Um, I would encourage you at that point to really think about um, coming to the lactation circle. Um, we're, we are a group that, um, you know, it's um, just feeding our children together. It's um, a community of people helping each other. And I'm there to help with any big issues. But getting out of the house and connecting with other people going through the same thing that you're doing is just so important for mental health. Um, the other thing that I think a lot of people don't like to talk about or are ashamed to even mention, breastfeeding is a lot and you can feel very, very overtouched, especially if you have um, another child or a partner, um, you know, and they want attention as well. And you can feel um, almost like animosity and um, like, I just want my body back for a minute those feelings are all fine. That's when you pass off the baby and you say, I'm going on a walk. I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be back. Use that freezer stash to get a minute. Go take a 30 minute shower. You know, I think it's really important. And, and I think it's just important to recognize that that happens. And that does not mean anything negative. It just means that you're a human and that you need a minute. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's hard in the soul, you know, or yes. primary, you know, food, producer and, producer. and be able mm -hmm. to, right. When you're exhausted and you're the only one that can do it or, and again, it, right. It's your choice. And then of course you're going to have everyone's everyone in their uncle's opinions about, well, you know, you wanted to exclusively breastfeed or this, that, and the other, and, you know, and that's hard to balance too. Yeah. I think some, because yeah. you do want to provide that. And if you have the supply too, and you're, you're able to like, of course you're, you're grateful for that. And, and it's an amazing bonding opportunity for you and your baby, but it's, it's still hard. You know, it doesn't mean you don't need a break. It doesn't mean that there aren't breaks available, you know, with the right um, community and the right, the right support around you. Um, you know, and there are so many tips and tricks of how, you know, like I'm a huge proponent of side lie nursing. So this is, you know, when you lay on your side and I can, I teach people how to do that comfortably where you can actually rest and breastfeed, but, you know, Again, just having that understanding that you can feel overwhelmed and overtouched, and it is okay to say, I need a break. Sure. That is 100% allowed and expected. And of course, you need a break. Everybody needs a break. Right. I also found it's pretty normal among mothers, you know, other, talking with other moms too who breastfeed that, like, um, 
not ex- like unexpected resentment. I, I hate using that word, but yeah. it really was nope. like towards partner where it's like, yes, why, you know, you don't, you don't have boobs, you can't make the milk, you know, and it, it just right. stinks, right. Kind of feeling like, yeah. well, I, I'm losing out on X, Y, and Z, or I'm the one I can't, you know, I needed more. And that was, yes. that was challenging to navigate at first too. But again, another yeah. thing that is normal and completely, you're not alone because that's absolutely, absolutely. I think that is a number one complaint about people's partners are like, well, you know, I'm doing all of this and he's, you know, he wants to participate in feeding, but you know, he doesn't understand that I have to pump while, you know, so there's other ways for your partner to be very involved and to free up some time for you. I recommend that they be the bath champion. And when I say that, I mean, they can be the sole bath provider and it be an extravagant event if they want, you know, the rose petals and, you know, candles and, you know, whatever you, you want to do, but it can be a real bonding experience. And, you know, they're in charge of that lotioning up and that, you know, getting into the jammies or whatever. And it can be just their deal. And I think that can be really empowering for the, for both of you, because it gives you a break and also gives your partner a very significant thing that only they are, they're in charge of, you know, Um, and in some people's family, um, that's also, they're in charge of the diapering Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. in some people's family, when the baby wakes up, you know, the partner is the one that gets the baby and brings the baby in and then takes the baby back out. Um, whatever your sleeping situation is, bassinet or co-sleeping or, you know, everybody has their own thing on that or if they're sleeping in a separate room. But there are ways to make your partner um, involved and that actually will reduce the amount of um, resentment that, that um, you know, feeders have because it is a lot. And if you're trying to do it all yourself, there is not time to even shower. So, you know, I think it's really important to... and also don't be afraid to, to say what it is that you need. You know, I need you to go make me some snacks and bring me some water. Thank you so much. I need you to be on diaper patrol for the next 24 hours, you know, things like that. I mean, communication's key. Yeah. You definitely find a system, but sometimes it can take, take time to really figure that out and navigate the balance between it. But And of course, I mean, as I've said on other episodes too, like, I don't know if it's just, it's a mom thing. It's a female thing. Like we don't like to ask for help. We do want to be able to do it all and do it all perfectly and easily. And if being a mom has taught me anything like it, that's just not possible. It's not realistic. It's not. (laughs) You kind of delegate or, you know, accept help when it's offered and figure that out. But it's a learning curve. one question, actually, it's kind of a personal question. I experienced this. I don't know how common it, common it is or if other women um, have experienced it too, but are you familiar with, I just looked it up because I always forget the the name. I just, the, the acronym is DEMER, dysphoric milk ejection reflex. Yeah, um, so let me think here. Dysphoric, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you experienced this. I did it. So it says here, DEMER is characterized by negative emotions that occur seconds before yeah. a mother's milk um, or is expressed um, simultaneously. However, it's, for, in my experience, at least, it was very brief. It was kind of during our nursing session. I would, and it wasn't, when I, when I said negative um, emotions, it wasn't like, I wasn't slipping down to a deep, dark, like, you know, I don't love my baby or I'm thinking of hurting myself. It was nothing of that nature. I just felt, you know, as I would nurse, as we were going on, I would get sad. I'd get really tired. Yeah. I would feel out of it. I would get very sort of like feeling, you know, depressed and down for no reason. You know, nothing had happened. She was latched properly. You uh-huh. know, the, the session was going well. And then 
after she after we finished it would be Everything momentarily and I would be fine I would snap out of it yeah. but for whatever reason during the actual nursing session as beautiful as it was and successful that we were I was sad and I looked it up yeah. I'm like is this normal am I the only one that feels this way yeah. or not the only one it isn't very common like it's not super common but it does happen um and it's so nice that you brought it up because it's not something that we expect to happen and then we're like oh my gosh something's wrong and it is completely due to the hormones being released while you're breastfeeding and it doesn't necessarily mean it will be the entire time you breastfeed you know it may come and go you may only experience it for a week or two and then be gone again um and it's it's just one of those things that you really need to be able to communicate about reach out and know that it is normal and you know it can be scary that actually can um turn into a um a very scary dark place and um never ever ever hesitate to reach out because Anything that you're feeling, I guarantee other moms have gone through it and there is help out there and there is support for those kind of things. Yeah. As with anything in motherhood, from what I'm learning, you know, there's, there's <laughs> so much support out there and resources. It's just a matter of um, learning about them, spreading awareness and, you know, connecting to those, those people that can help. So yeah, thank you for answering for sure. that. That was always something I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I'm sure I can't be the only one. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And it's, it's a very strange feeling and it um, usually is transient, like I said, but um, yeah. And you can actually dread breastfeeding because of it. And that's, 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 a, you know, something that you need to talk through and work through. Um, but it can, it can be a very overwhelming thing. Speaking of dreading breastfeeding, um, mothers that go into it thinking it's going to be wonderful or that, that, that that's the choice they want to make. And then turns mm -hmm. out it's either for whatever reason, and there's no, like no judgment here or wrong answer, right, or right answer, anything, of course. Um, but what about when you get to that place and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. I just can't keep up with it. I can't keep up with the demands of either only exclusively breastfeeding, um, or, or doing in tandem with pumping, like regardless of what it is, or, how about you have an oversupply and you're trying to, you know, stop, mm -hmm. how would you recommend um, moms go about that in terms of like kind of coming to a close with their breastfeeding journey or trying yeah. to dry up a little bit sooner than um, anticipated to, to end things? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, you know, I always say, you know, go slow. Um, if you are full on breastfeeding or full on exclusively pumping, you're going to need to take that slowly. So when I say that, that is removing one feed or one pump that first 24 hours, see how you feel, go to two, see how you feel, go to three. Um, some people can, you know, if you weren't breastfeeding exclusively, you may not need to step down that slowly. Um, but I do recommend that you do it. Um, and listen to your body. Um, if your breasts are super full, you can pump just to relief not to actually, you know, pump until you, you know, have several letdowns, just pump until you can get some relief there. Um, and oh, it, our bodies respond so quickly. You'll notice a difference within 24 hours, truly. Um, and you just stay on it until you're comfortable without having to pump or without having to nurse. Um, peppermint is actually a very big, um, uh, milk reducer. So high levels of peppermint. So you can use peppermint, um, uh, essential oil. Um, you can drink peppermint tea, eat peppermint candy. Um, all of those things actually reduce your milk supply um, when used in large amounts. So be careful, reach out to your IBCLC, reach out to me. But um, there, there are nice homeopathic things that you could do that kind of assist you in that process. That's good to know. I've heard a lot about um, cabbage leaves too. Is that? Yeah. So if you're engorged, 
um, cabbage leaves and it's crazy. You put them in the fridge, green cabbage leaves, um, and you can just put them in your bra <laughs> for a while. They're soothing, but also it does release some of the uh, edema and um, some of the just overall um, fullness feeling, but it's, it's, it's really amazing. And you can use it when you're starting to wean as well. Um, not pretty much only if you've let, you've let yourself get too full, do I recommend those cabbage leaves, but they can, they can really work. Um, the other thing is, you know, um, if you're feeling really full and you're trying to decrease your supply ice, you can put ice on your breast as well. So heat kind of encourages milk flow and ice kind of restricts it. So that makes sense. Yeah. Super helpful <laughs> tips though. Yeah. Well, I guess we should start wrapping up. There's so many other things that we can talk about, um, but it's just, there's a lot. The body is, I, every time you said that, I, um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, it really is in the whole like process of right conception and like growing a child yeah. and then afterwards, like how intuitive your body is. And, you know, I've read so many things about like the various, um, uh, what would you call it? Like the, the makeup of breast milk and how that literally can change throughout the day or the time of day does, or yeah. based on what baby needs, like your body. Absolutely. Just, and it's incredible. So it really is, you know, and, and I always say whatever, whatever time your baby is born, that's your milk is perfect for that 34 week or that 28 week or that 42 weaker, you know, your milk is in tune with your baby immediately. And it's exactly what your baby needs. No two women will have the same breast milk components. I mean, they're close, but they're all in different levels. Um, some people will have higher fat milk. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, the lower fat milk is it's right for your baby. Whatever your milk is, is right for your baby. There are these studies that are just phenomenal that, um, breastfed baby, um, you soak, um, a pad of breast milk on one side of the baby and, and somebody else's breast milk on the other side of the baby, your baby will turn towards your breast milk 100% of the time. Wow. It's just phenomenal. It's just amazing stuff. And, um, you know, you can, you're right. It just changes throughout the day. Um, it's usually higher fat content in the evening, so they can sleep a little bit longer theoretically. Uh, but you know, it's just, you know, everybody's different. And, you know, I was going to point out also, there are some people who decide to only breastfeed when they're together, um, when they go back to work. And, um, you know, that goes back to trying to wean, you know, um, you know, from the pump or whatever, but some people do it immediately. And I just, and, or, you know, I have had, um, some cases where the baby, 100% would not take a bottle, no matter what they tried tippies, they tried, you know, everything out and it just wouldn't happen. And what is just absolutely amazing is that that baby will make up those calories at night, given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So there are some babies who will not breastfeed, will not have milk during the day, will not eat during the day. And as long as they're given the opportunity, and it may be a full on 12 hour marathon, but they will make up those calories at night, breastfeeding. It's, it, it, it's amazing what our bodies can do again. Yeah. That's so interesting. My yeah. goodness. Well, Andy, I have my last two questions before we close okay. here that I ask every guest on the mommy in Maine podcast. And that uh, first one is your favorite place in Maine. I know you haven't been here too long. Um, but have you discovered anywhere that you just love so far about this state and you'd like to share? Oh my goodness. I have just been loving the trails that lead to the ocean. So anything that I can get to the water, even in the snow, oh my gosh. When we got here in October, um, we went to the beach every single day, whatever beach we could find. Um, uh, I was in Freeport just the other day, even though there was ice and went on a walking trail that it was like an Audubon walking trail, didn't even know it existed. And it just, just 
breathtaking. It took us into the bay where we could see um, islands I can't remember the name of, but just absolutely phenomenally beautiful. And um, the, 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 just the tree, the densities, the density of the trees here is just so beautiful. Um, coming from Missouri, it's quite, quite different. And I just love it so much. Nothing like Maine fresh air for sure, especially yes. by the water, so close to it at least. Oh, so great. And my second question is your main tip for moms, if you could leave them with any advice, um, expertise or a resource, perhaps anything at all that you would tell the mom community. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it is so important to reach out prenatally. You can do this at any part in your pregnancy, but definitely before 34 weeks, reach out, reach out to me, reach out to any IBCLC, but reach out, get a prenatal exam. Let's make sure that structurally you're ready. Let's make sure that you have all of the um, support in place that you're going to need. And, um, you know, education goes a long way. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go super simple. It doesn't mean that if you didn't get all this, it's not going to go super simple. You just don't know until you're in it. Um, so I would definitely recommend, um, as I mentioned, um, I do home visits, um, something called the lactation circle is where we get together and meet up. Um, there are all sorts of resources out there for you, but I really recommend you do it before 34 weeks so you can have the best experience possible. There's a book that I recommend to everyone um, and it's been in existence for a million years. Um, they um, update it all the time, but it's um, from La Leche League and it's called The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding. And it's kind of the breastfeeding Bible. It, it really goes start to finish. And it talks about every question that you could possibly have in layman terms, which is wonderful. Um, but I recommend it to everyone. So if you're looking for a book to read, I would definitely say that one is your go-to. Thank you for that. I love um, book recommendations. I'm trying to grow my own collection of any and all topics, whether that's prenatal, postpartum, anything. Um, yes. It's just, it's super interesting. And then I, I like to be able to tell people too. So I will check yeah. that one out myself. Please do. You can, libraries usually carry them, but I think they're like 12 bucks on Amazon. And um, it's, in my opinion, just a great tool to have on hand. Sure. Yeah. There's, you can't really over-prepare, right? And I know sometimes, don't get me wrong too, like I didn't do much preparation prenatally in any aspect. And for some <laughs> people, you know, that that's better, right? Because overwhelm yeah. can come quicker, quick, quick quickly. Absolutely. To but it is, I think there's no uh, shame or guilt in over-preparing either and making sure that things are set up beforehand. Because you're right, you don't, you have no clue what's really going to happen. You can prepare and do all this stuff beforehand, but until you're in it, that's when, you know, that's when you really figure it out. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Andy, where can people reach you if they are wanting to learn more or get in touch with you, seek out your services, uh, let people know where they can find you on, on social or your website, anything like that. Absolutely. So website is lactationcircle.com. And on Instagram, it's the lactation circle. And you can reach me either place there. Um, you can also reach me at Andy at the lactationcircle.com if you want to email me directly. Um, and I'd love to hear from you and anything I can do to help anybody. I'm just thrilled to be here and to be part of the birthing community in Maine. Well, we are so excited to have you, Andy, and I appreciate our conversation so much. You offered so many tips and strategies, and there's, gosh, I'm sure a billion more questions that could come from our conversation that maybe we'll, we'll have to meet again to, to dive deeper into other topics, too. So I, well, I, I thank you so much for your, your, what you're doing for this community, for moms, and um, it's certainly needed. So I appreciate your time here, and I hope our audience takes away as much from our conversation as I did. Well, thank you so much. You were a pleasure. Thank you.
That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you learned something, felt validated in your own motherhood journey, or maybe even laughed a little. For further details, including topics discussed in today's episode, links, and resources, check out the show notes. And if you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Mommy and Maine podcast and share with others so that this community can be reached by all the deserving moms out there. I'd love to connect and appreciate any feedback, so please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. To get in touch with me, I can be reached on Instagram at mommyinmaine or by email at mommyinmaine at gmail.com. Cheers to being a rock star mom. I'll see you next time. <laughs>